You've heard people say, well, when they get there, things will be different. When I was growing up, it was daddy. How many of you have ever heard your mom say, when your father gets there, when your father gets home, when your father shows up, then we'll see. Some of you may be the moms that's the corrective factor. At least in my house growing up, it was the dad. We understand the, the principle of someone's presence changing the environment completely and totally. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the presence of God, of God showing it up and making himself known, and it has a profound effect on the people. Folks, we do know from the Bible that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. God is in this room. God is where you're going this afternoon before you get there. God is everywhere. But also in Scripture, there are times when God makes himself known in clear and specific and powerful ways. Sometimes it's really bad for the people he makes himself known to. Other times it's really great. And this morning we're going to look at one of the really great stories out of Second Chronicles, not Corinthians, Chronicles in the Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter 5 and chapter 7. That's a great story where God shows up, and man, it is wonderful. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to examine yourself. Ask yourself right now, do you really want God to show up this morning? Do you want God to show up in your life? Do you want God to show up at your school? Do you want God to show up in our church? Strange question to ask about a church, but there's a lot of churches, if God showed up, he would not be welcome. (laughs) He would be very uncomfortable. Do we really want him to? I think that most of us do. So let's see what must take place for God to show up. And it's real simple. When you honor God properly, God will show up. When we really, and really may be the key word in that phrase, when we really honor God, God will show up. In Second Chronicles, let me give you the background of what's going on. Solomon is King David's son, and Solomon has just completed building the magnificent temple, Solomon's temple. This is probably about 990, 970, somewhere in that years before Jesus Christ. Let me give you a little Jewish temple history. Solomon builds this great temple that stands for 400 years. Now, think about that. America has not been a country 400 years. So that's a long time. It was from about 970 uh, B.C., before Christ, to about 589. And then the guy, Zerubbabel, say that name real fast 15 times, built uh, the next temple, Jewish temple, which stood for 500 years, from about 520 B.C. to uh, to 20 B.C. And then King Herod, you remember him from the New Testament, he built the temple that stood for 90 years, from about 20 years before Christ to about 70 years after uh, Christ lived and died and arose. Herod's temple was the temple that Jesus Christ interacted in and moved in and about. This temple Solomon's, we're looking at Solomon's temple today, magnificent building. It took seven years to build it, seven years to, uh, to finish the project. Some of you have been working on your house for 15, so seven doesn't sound long. But seven years is quite a project. 30,000 Jewish men worked in this project as laborers, 30,000. 150 Canaanite men worked in this project, 180,000 
people labored on this project. They used great stones, cedar beams. They used boards that were overlaid with gold on the inside and the outside. Now, listen to this. If you were to put the cost of Solomon's temple in our money today, now, this is a rough estimate, and if I'm missing it, it's probably on the low end. It would probably cost $20 billion to build Solomon's temple today, $20 billion. Now, in Iraq, we built an embassy, an American embassy, that cost $1 billion to build that I hope we're not fixing to, to walk away from, $1 billion. And you can imagine how well armored that is and protected. Think about a $20 billion project. Can you imagine me coming to you next year and going, we're wanting to build a few new buildings, and it will be $4.3 billion. Sign your pledge card this morning. That would be a little overwhelming. Get, this afternoon, don't do it right now with your phone, but just get online and look at real estate in somewhere like Hollywood, California, or San Francisco. You can find some magnificent estates that might even be 5 or $10 million, $20 billion. It was just absolutely a splendid and magnificent building. And they finished this temple. It took them seven years, all these labors. And now everything is in the temple except the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I talked about the Ark a little last week. I've talked about it a few, um, few Sunday nights. The Ark represented the presence of who? The presence of God. It was the most treasured thing in the life of the Jewish people. We have a picture, just a, a rough uh, American, I guess, view of what the Ark would look like, and it's hard to, to get a grasp of it. It was gold on the outside, gold on the inside. It contained the, uh, some very precious things of the Jewish people. And again, it, it was not just like a, well, okay, this is the Lord's Supper table, it means this. This really was the presence of God in the midst of the people. David had brought the ark back to the Jewish people uh, many years earlier, but now they're getting ready to take it and put it in the, the most holy place called the Holy of Holies. And it's a magnificent celebration. Everything in the temple's in place except the ark. And now they get there, and in, in chapter 5, verse 7, it tells us that they bring the ark in. The priests brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, the holy of holies, and they put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Now let's jump to verse 13 and 14. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord, and they sang, God is good, His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Kyle, if we can jump over to chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, and, and where it says, Solomon finished praying. This is all in the same sequence. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple again. And the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. Unbelievable. What a tremendous, tremendous event. And I want us to see this morning, what do we need to do 
for God to show up in our lives. They, they lay out the perfect scenarios here. What do we need to do for God to show up in our marriages, in our, our families, in our workplaces? What do we need to do? I want to give you three things that they show us. Number one, you put him in the right place. You honor God when you put God in the right place. Now, this may sound pretty simplistic, but there's nothing more important than this. They had all this wonderful temple built. They had everything perfect. But it wasn't until they got the ark of God, the presence of God, and put it where God wanted it, in the center place of the Jewish life, that's when God showed up. Folks, if you want God to show up in your life and in my life and in our church and our community, it's not a coincidence. It doesn't just happen. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't come where he's not welcome. That's one of the strangest things about God. He does not force himself on you. He doesn't make those harsh decisions until you die. And then you die, you are stuck with the decisions you made in regards to him. And that's when he will make some harsh ones. You want God to show up in your life and in our world? Make a choice to put God in the center of your world. Folks, God is on the peripheral for most of us, isn't he? You don't have to nod, but it's true. We don't schedule things around God. We schedule God around. Uh, uh, we, we make our schedules and then see if God fits in. Well, we'll come to church if, if, this, this, that. We'll tithe. We'll give our money if we have this, this, and that. We'll spend time in prayer and Bible study. We'll serve if, this, this, and that. Well, let's check and see. And if we can fit God in, we will. God doesn't want to be fit in. God wants to be the thing you put first and you fit everything else around. You know the old buffer sticker, God is my co-pilot? None of you have that on your car this morning, do you? If you do, I'm not kicking you. I've never seen your car to know that, but take it off. When you leave today, just pull it off on the way out. God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. God wants to be your pilot. When the Jewish people put the presence of God in the right spot, God showed up. Now, going to have some tremendous effects later. They all are good, but they certainly affect us. You want God to show up. God's not Santa Claus. God doesn't want to be there just when we need him, although he is there just when we need him. Make God the center point. Here's the second thing. We honor him by doing things his way. We honor God by doing things God's way. Now, you go back over in the book of Samuel. I preached on this a few Sunday nights ago. David had the great idea of bringing the ark to the center place in the Jewish life. Great intentions, great motives, great thoughts, great heart, all those great things. He just didn't do it the way the Bible prescribed it to be done. And so they're moving the ark exactly how God told them not to move the ark. A guy reaches out and touches the ark, and he dies on the spot. What looked like a wonderful religious praise celebration ended in a tremendous tragedy 
Folks, you and I cannot expect the blessing of God without doing things God's way. That's what too many of us are trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to use God again like he is a, a holy Santa Claus. We're sick, we're in need, we have problems. And then we call out to God, and God wants you to. The big difference is God wants you calling out to him the next day and the next day. And the next day, most of us, after everything gets fixed, we forget God. And we wonder, why doesn't God make himself known in our churches? Why doesn't God make himself known in our lives? Why doesn't God make himself known? You can't do things on our way and expect the God to show up. This is not how it works. You remember a few months ago when Lee Thomas was here and he talked on prayer. He did it during the Connection Group Hour, and then he did it on Sunday night. One of the great statements in his little book, great statement was this, God does not loan out his power and glory. And what he meant by that was, you want God's power and you want God's glory, you got to get God. you got to put him in the center place. You've got to do things his way. I get amazed at people who wonder why God doesn't bless my business. Or maybe it's your academics. And we cheat, we fudge, we steal, we take advantage of people. And we wonder why God doesn't bless us. God doesn't bless stuff that's not done his way. Why do I have all these problems? I wonder that, and you wonder that too. Part of it's just life. Part of it's not God being mean to us. Part of it, too, is that we haven't been doing things the way God wants us to, and we don't line up with God. We can't expect. God, God's not Santa Claus. He doesn't loan out and just give out his power and his glory without giving himself. If we truly desire God to work in our lives, our families, our homes, We've got to not only put him in the center place, we've got to decide we're going to do things his way. You see, too many of us, we do things the Baptist way or the Catholic way or that's how grandma did it or the non-denominational way. You do things God's way if you want God to show up. And here's the third thing. God shows up when we, we praise him. Man, we honor God when we praise him. It's, it's interesting. In verse 13, they were having kind of a blended service. Wasn't contemporary. It was kind of a Sunday night service at the, the temple. They had trumpeters, singers. They were singing in unison with one voice, giving praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voice and praised to the Lord. Wayne, these were probably the Levites. This was an all-boys choir, but it was good. Could have used a few women, but they were still good. And they were singing, he is good. His love endures forever. And then the Lord, the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. The priests could not perform their services because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled their temple. Folks, God is like you and me. And I'm not trying to dumb him down, but this is what the Bible says. God likes getting thanked. Read Luke 17 about the ten lepers. God likes you and I thanking him. Like you like to be praised, God likes to be praised and lifted up and honored. And God, listen, God shows up 
when people praise Him. God shows up when we use our mouths and we praise God. You know, one of the reasons we sing is to give praise to God. You know, before I was a Christian, I became a Christian at 19. Went to church my whole life. My parents were were three-time-a-week Baptists, so I was always there. But I hated to sing. I hated to sing. And when I was little, I had to be in children's choir. I didn't like that. I got in junior high. I was in youth choir. I liked that because junior high, y'all start, girls start looking good. So you, you know, you, you put that two and two together that if I go to choir, there are girls there. But then I got out of the choir. I guess the good-looking girls didn't go to choir at my church. I don't remember. And, but I just never sang. This was back in the day of the hymn book. Any of you remember what a hymn book? It's an ancient book we used to sing from. They didn't think it was funny at 8.30, and you guys didn't think it was funny either. But, but I, I wouldn't even pick up a hymn book. I just, I just stood there because I thought as a man that's what I should do and, and that it, you know, I shouldn't sing. The weirdest thing happened. I got saved on a Monday night. I got saved on a Monday night, and I went to church on a Wednesday night. And before I knew it, I was holding one of those books and singing. And what I have found out since I got saved, my voice didn't get any better. I mean, I used to sing with ZZ Top in the shower, and it was terrible. My voice didn't get any better. But you know what I found out? When the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me, I started liking to sing. Isn't that weird? I want to tell you, you you really can't say you're into praising God if we're singing and you're like this. And I don't see you. I'm sitting here. I'm one of y'all. I'm a layman during the songs. Wayne's a paid professional. He He knows what's going on. I don't. But how can you say, well, I'm praising God. I just don't sing. I don't know the, remember what I said last? I don't know the words of the song. If you can read, you can sing. Amen? God says, make a joyful, make a joyful what? And many of us, it is noise. Amen? And who cares what your neighbor says, correct? Grow up. Don't worry about what they, well, you can't sing. Well, tell them they need to get a new hairdo, whatever. That's one of the cool things about God is he likes us regardless. It says make a joyful noise. Lift your voice up to God. God loves it when we praise him. Here are three things. Listen, you want God to show up? I, I don't think all of us really do. But if you really do, God shows up when we put him number one in our life, which is going to reflect in all that we do. You can't be a jerk to people and say God's number one in your life. Absolutely not. You got to do things his way, remember. He wrote the rule book. So you put him number one. You, tr- you, you do things his way, and you, you, you live a life of praise to God. And when we do, God shows up. And, folks, when God shows up, things are different. Now, I, I should have put on there different in a better way, but things are going to be different. Okay, let me ask you real quick again. Do you want God to show up? You just want the sermon to get over. Anybody in here ever been to Barrow, Alaska? We have one. We had one in the second. First, so we are we are a well cultured church. Barrow, Alaska, is like three hundred and thirty miles from the Arctic Circle. In other words, it July the fourth, you wear a coat in Barrow, Alaska. They have coming up from like November the twenty fifth to January the twenty fifth a two-month period where the sun does not come up. Can you imagine that? 
I mean, it is dark 24-7. It's great for vampires and burglars, but everybody else, it's pretty tough. They asked one guy who had lived there for many years, they said, how do you handle that? And his response was, well, the sun's overrated. (laughs) The sun's overrated. In other words, they get so used to living without the presence of the sun, it doesn't matter. How many churches are that way? Not the Son, the Son of God. How many Christians are that way? We've gotten so accustomed, we've dumbed down our life so much, and we've dumbed down ourselves spiritually so much that we've just become accustomed to living without the power of God. If we want God to show up, He will. And things will be different. They'll be different in a great way, but they're going to be different. And, and let, me, let me tell you two things that God does. When, when God shows up, he'll do some dramatic things, number one. And dramatic is defined differently by a lot of people. But chapter 7, verse 1, I think you would all agree this is dramatic. When Solomon finished praying, remember all this is going on at the same time, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, if right now, if fire came down and consumed this TV screen in front of me, how many of you would say God or something was in the house? That was powerful, wasn't it? And it said it consumed the burnt offering. The burnt offering was an offering offered for atonement of sin. And it was supposed to be completely consumed. There were different types of offering. You might bring one offering up here, a lamb or a cow. And me being the priest, we would sit down and we would eat it. And we would burn some of it off to God. The burnt offering, every bit of it went to God. This was God's way of saying, I'm in the house. I approve of what you're doing. It's a purity, it's a cleansing, it's a blessing. And man, how many of our lives need the fire of God to fall in them? Decision Magazine is a magazine put out by Billy Graham's Association. And they had an article several years ago about a couple named Rick and Shauna. Rick and Shauna tell their story in the article about they had a terrible marriage. They were both alcoholics. They were both... Heavy users of illegal drugs. They both admitted to cheating on each other fairly regularly. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful marriage? And one Sunday morning, she had gotten her full of it. Rick was not physically abusive, but he was very neglectful, verbally abusive to her and the kids. And she just got to a point, she said, I I am done. But she turned on the radio as she was ironing clothes, and she heard a preacher. And it got her attention. And she said, you know what, I, I'm going to go to that church. That sounds like something I need. She went to that church that Sunday morning, and she became a Christian. And she said, you know what, this is great, but Rick will never, he'll never set foot in this church. Next Sunday morning, she's getting the kids ready. She said, Rick, you want to go to church? And she, he said, yes. She said, I almost died of a heart attack. Four weeks later, Rick got saved. And as they tell their story, she said, it took a while. We had to go to counseling. We had to get some help for our drug addictions. But over a course of several months, the fire of God fell into our lives and in our marriages. Now we have a wonderful, happy, healthy relationship and family. God can do it, man. When we put him in the first place, when we do life his way, 
when we praise Him and honor Him, God will show up. And sometimes it's in dramatic ways. But here's something that always happens when God shows up. He alters our lives and our schedules. This may be some of the part where we go, oh, I don't know if this is what I really want. He always alters them for the good, though, guys. Let's read chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 one more time. Just the end of verse 13. They raised their voices in praise to the Lord, and they sang, He is good, His love endures forever. And the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And the priest could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, this is probably the the glory of the Lord filling the inner part of the temple because in chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, we see more. Solomon finished praying. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is that second filling. And the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. In verse 3, all the Israelites saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. What a tremendous event. Let me, let me give you some thoughts on this. When it says the glory of the Lord filled the temple, the out, inside of the temple, the outside of the temple, that word fill means to complete something. It can mean to replace or to replenish. And when it says the glory of the Lord filled or completed that temple. The glory of the Lord means the the weight and the honor and the fame of God. And it's the concept here of the Shekinah glory of God, the visible presence of God. Can you imagine? They, They put him in the right place. They did it his way. They honored him. And God showed up and filled that place. And I love it. Two different times it says the priest had to stop their work because God was in the house. Now, folks, when God shows up in a life, in a church, in a business, when God really shows up, things change. Junk goes. You you and I expect unethicalness, immorality, bad attitudes, bad slanderous tongues. We expect that to go. But what I love here is it says the priests could not continue their duties because God was in the house. You know what? If God shows up at a church, there's some things that probably need to stop. Amen? There's certainly things that in your life and my life that will be different. God comes in and and He alters our schedules. He alters our lives. Southwestern Seminary is where I did some of my graduate work. It's a, a seminary is, is synonymous with a cemetery in many ways, but it's a graduate school for preachers. And it, it's, a, it's not like a Sunday school. It is like a graduate school like Louisiana Tech has graduate schools, except it is religious and you do have chapels. And, and we had chapel twice a week, I think, or maybe every day. But we never had a chapel like the one I'm going to tell you about they had in March of 1995. Chapel would normally start at 10 o'clock sharp and end about 10.50 dull. You had class up till, nine, up till 10 and then from 11 to 12. On this particular day, chapel started at 10 o'clock. Schedule about 15 minutes of singing, about 25, 30 minutes of preaching. You know what time chapel ended on this day in March of 1995? It literally ended at 10 o'clock that night. God showed up. 
Preachers stop preaching about 1045. People begin to come up front and confess sins, confess sins to one another, share testimonies. They said somebody was talking or singing, not the preachers, until 4 o'clock that afternoon. People stayed singing and praying in the house till 10 o'clock that night. And you know what? People missed lunch that day and nobody cared. People missed classes that day. They called off classes. And you know what? Nobody cared. Every church I've pastored, we, we try to prayerfully plan our services. This one included. We, we, we plan out our music, we're praying, our baptizing, our sermons. But we always say this. If God shows up, we don't care if we stay all day. Now, we're not going to stay all day because Wayne wants to sing 482 verses of Amazing Grace or because I want to talk for three hours. But a few times since I've been a pastor, I've seen it happen. I've seen God show up. I think back to the church I was pastoring before I came here. One Sunday night, we probably had about 200 people in the service. And we showed the video of the heaven's gates and hell's flames. We didn't have the money to bring it in, so we showed it on the video. Six o'clock, we started. About 6.50, we began the invitation. We closed out the service at nine o'clock. We had a fellowship planned. And nobody cared. And the neat thing is, everybody stayed for the fellowship. The invitation went on about two hours. 25 people, more than a tenth of the people there on a Sunday night gave their life to Christ. And you know what? Nobody cared that they got home late. Nobody cared that we were late to the ice cream. It was in the freezer. It was taken care of anyway. Nobody cared that the service went on long. You know why? Because God showed up. And when God shows up, He changes things. You see, when God shows up in your life or your family or your business, if God really shows up, if God really shows up and fills you up, some stuff just gets pushed out of the way. Sometimes it's painful because it involves repentance and humility. Sometimes it's just easy, but it's always wonderful to be full of the right stuff and rid of the wrong stuff. Almost all of you are familiar with this Occupy Wall Street stuff going on. I don't think there's an Occupy Main Street Ruston yet. There may be. And, and I don't want to even speculate about any of this except I guess what part of the thinking is is that if we occupy, if we're in the house, if we're there, Maybe we can create some changes, get attention. Certainly there's lo- loafers and just people who are against stuff that show up and stuff like that. But people with good intentions are saying, maybe our occupation, our presence can change something. I don't know about that, but I know about this. That if we'll let God occupy the house, if we'll let God occupy the heart, if we'll let God occupy our families, that's where change will happen. That's where things will be different. If we genuinely want that to happen. Let's pray.
Christian, I would just encourage you right now to do whatever you need to do to let God show up in your life. If you're not a Christian, I want to ask you right where you're seated to pray with me and say, Jesus, I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. And I'm asking you now, by faith, to be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment, and when we do, I want to challenge you to respond to God. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Maybe you're ready to do that this morning. Will you do that in a moment? Will you come and let a minister help you with that decision? Maybe today God's leading you to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do it is by just slipping out, coming down an aisle, talking to a minister, and join us today. Christian, every one of us here needs to make a choice. I want to ask you to make one of two choices, Christian. The first is this. I want to ask you to let God occupy your life. To let God show up in your life, in your church, in your family by deciding you're going to honor Him, you're going to do it His way, and you're going to praise Him. Be it where you're standing or at the altar, make that choice. But if you're a Christian and for whatever reason you're not willing to do that, I want to ask you this. Don't get in anybody else's way. Don't hinder your husband, your wife. Don't hinder this church. Don't hinder your church, wherever it is, or your family. But please make the right choice to let God make himself known. Let's stand. Let's ask you to bow your heads and respond to Christ.